Today at Reader's Corner, John Pomfret, author of From Warsaw with Love, Polish Spies, CIA, and the Forging of an Unlikely Alliance. I'm Bob Kustra. Welcome to Reader's Corner. In 1990, as the United States cobbles together a coalition to undo Saddam Hussein's invasion of Kuwait, six U.S. officers are trapped in Iraq with intelligence that could ruin Operation Desert Storm if it falls into the wrong hands. Desperate, the CIA asked Poland, a longtime Cold War foe famed for its excellent spies, for help. In his latest book, From Warsaw with Love, Polish Spies, the CIA, and the Forging of an Unlikely Alliance, John Pomfret offers a gripping account of the intelligence cooperation between Poland and the United States. He uncovers new details about the CIA's black site program that held suspected terrorists in Poland after 9-11, as well as the role of Polish spies in the hunt for Osama bin Laden. John Pomfret is a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize, served as a correspondent for the Washington Post for two decades, covering wars, revolutions, and China. His previous book, The Beautiful Country and the Middle Kingdom, won the Arthur Ross Book Award from the Council on Foreign Relations. John Pomfret, welcome to Reader's Corner. Bob, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Well, John, let's let's start. Uh, you have a wealth of experience uh, reporting from abroad. Why don't you tell us how you learned about this tale of intrigue and daring? So in 1992, I was hired by the Washington Post to basically cover Bosnia. And as you'll recall, there was a, a, there was a, ha- there was a large war happening, the biggest war in continental Europe. It was the biggest since, obviously, the invasion of Ukraine. But the Post, as a sort of the legacy of the past, had its Eastern European Bureau in Warsaw. And so I would go down to Sarajevo or, or other parts of Bosnia and spend six weeks to two months there. And then I would get a little R&R back in Warsaw. And when I was on my trips back to Warsaw, I would do an occasional story about Poland. But Poland, by 1992, had kind of made a transition already to a semblance of democracy. And it wasn't a massive story like it had been in the 1980s with solidarity and martial law and all that kind of stuff, the collapse of communism. That's, that story kind of had passed. And the big story was, was Bosnia, of course, people killing each other there. But back in, in Warsaw, I kind of got these, I heard these rumors that the Poles had done the CIA an enormous favor. I, I started listening, hearing these rumors around 1995. And, then, and the rumors were that the Poles had done the Americans a really big favor as part of the Polish desire to enter NATO. They, they wanted to prove to the United States that they were really good allies and they did something for America. And then I heard another rumor that they actually this operation, whatever it happened in Iraq, during um, the Gulf War, the first Gulf War. And that was kind of close to my heart because I covered the first Gulf War with the Associated Press. And so I began to pick up these rumors and um, my assistant there suggested that we talk to Polish engineering companies. And there were 13 engineering companies that were really had major businesses in Iraq, building roads, sewage treatment plants, that kind of stuff. She said, you know, there were thousands of Polish workers in there that if there was such an operation, the uh, UOP, which was the Polish intelligence agency, probably used some of the engineering companies to figure out what was, you know, to kind of to, to insert their sure. officer in there and, and, and do something. And we talked to 12 and they're all like, we never heard anything like it. You're crazy. Go away. And then we got to literally got to the 13th, the last one. And the general manager of that company said, yeah, you know, we had this employee named Eugeniusz, who told us this crazy story about saving these Americans and 
we just thought he was nuts, but he's, he's retired and he's Western, he's in Western Poland. And so Helena and I went to Western Poland and she found the guy for me. She was an incredible assistant. She found the guy for me. And he tells me this whole story about, yeah, there were these six American intelligence officers and we dressed them up like Polish workers and we poured Johnny Walker black on them. We had to pretend they were drunk and we sneak and we sneak and we, we sneak them out of Poland. It was this, so this was this incredible tale he tells me after a couple of days of interviewing him and I write it up and th- this was back in the day when there were faxes. So my fax was like three feet long, <laughs> printed it out and I faxed it to the spokesperson's office at the UOP, the Polish intelligence agency. And literally within the hour, I get a phone call back from them saying, this is the UOP public affairs office. You are ordered, not oh. requested. You are ordered <laughs> to come down to our headquarters in Warsaw immediately for discussions about this fax that you said. And so then I go down to the UOP headquarters and it's this, this old Stalinist building, right? High <laughs> ceilings and kind of ratty red carpet. Um, everything's very dark. You know, it's, the whole idea is to make the individual feel as small as he possibly could. And I'm down these long corridors through these massive doors, more and more corridors, more and more doors into this giant office with this big desk and this large looming character stands in the desk, pencil thin mustache, brilliant blue eyes. He said, my name is Gromoslav Chempinski. I'm the director of the Foreign Intelligence Bureau and you are in possession of state secrets. I can have you thrown in jail. Whoa. And that began this, <laughs> what's become a decades-long friendship with Gromoslav Chempinski. Um, he worked with me on the story. You know, there was, they were worried about methods and sources that would actually obviously get people, potentially get people in, in Iraq in, 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 in danger. But it then turns out that there was this, indeed, this, there was this operation that was run by Chempinski himself, who was at the time in 1990, the deputy director of intelligence. So the poll sent him down there. They corralled these six American officers, some from the National Security Administration agency, some from uh, the military and some from the CIA, got them in Baghdad and took them out of Baghdad and into Turkey to make sure that the Iraqis couldn't grab them and collect intelligence from them that would could have literally materially affected the course of Desert Storm. That is an absolutely amazing story. I guess the question, next question is, What's the relationship between Poland and the United States at the time that uh, enables this to happen? So, you know, there's 1989, right, where these these epical changes across kind of kind of cross go go across Eastern Europe, um, and the Poles um, have the what what you know have these the negotiations with the communist government led by on the communist side led by the Minister of Interior, and on the other side led by Valenza. Lech Wałęsa, the great Polish, the first first uh, free Polish president. Um, the negotiations happen. Then there's this agreement to have an election. The opposition basically wins the election. Uh, they get a, they get their prime minister and, and Jaroszelski, who was you'll remember that kind of dark sunglassed, um, right. perfect perfect example of kind of Eastern European communism. He stays as president. Uh, Wałęsa becomes president later, um, but the transition is happening. And as the transition is happening. The CIA is thinking, okay, do we want to encourage or how do we feel about a potential relationship with Polish intelligence? Because the CIA knew how good the Polish spies were. Um, the book begins, my book begins with this, this the story of Marian Zaharski, 
who was a Polish spy based in Los Angeles in the 1970s, who basically robbed the United States blind of advanced military secrets, masquerading as a Polish salesman. Um, and, and the CIA basically ultimately, through um, their sources in Polish uh, intelligence, unmasked Zaharsky, uh, sentenced him to life in prison, then exchanged him across the Bridge of, bridge of Spies in 1981 or so. But, uh, sorry, in 85. But the CIA basically knew about the professional level of the Polish spies. And basically, there was this debate in the CIA, should we kind of reach our hand out and see whether instead of working against these characters, we could work with them and we could exploit their knowledge specifically of what was going on in the Soviet Union. Because if you recall, there was chaos there, potential for loose nukes as, you know, Gorbachev is trying to kind of transition his society from an authoritarian totalitarian society into something that kind of might have been, might be a democracy. But in that chaos, the CIA was desperate for, for organizations that understood Russia. The Poles also had a lot of assets in North Korea, uh, in parts of Africa where the Americans couldn't go, and also in Iran. And so this potential use of Poland's expertise, if we could get them on our side, really appealed to the CIA. Now, the leader of this mission, you mentioned him, uh, Zempinski. Zempinski, uh, yeah. He, he's really an interesting guy, and, and he's a good example of, of what you characterize in the novel as these spies that were communist spies originally, and then Later on, they become spies for the new Poland. But the question is, uh, what do the Americans think of this? And I think throughout your book, there's these moments when there's this tug of war, this tension in America between those who think we should toss in with the new Poland and its spies in particular, and those who are afraid that uh, you can't trust these communists. They're all the same and they'll never change. Yeah, I mean, that tension, Bob, is also reflected in Poland as well. So there are a lot of Poles in Poland now who still think Czempinski and, and, and all those characters who transitioned from being the foes of America into being the allies of America are, are still untrustworthy. Yeah. And so not only in the United States are the people doubting the policy, but also in Poland now, especially today, there are people who have criticized the policy who said we should have thrown all those you know, spies in jail or at least forbidden them from working in the new Poland, etc., Right. But the argument amongst the, the people in the CIA who pushed the relationship was that these guys ultimately are first, they were the Foreign Intelligence Bureau. So they were all operating overseas. So they weren't involved in like beating protesters up or locking up dissidents, et cetera. But second, they were real professionals. And third, they really understood countries that the United States could not operate in. So they could be exploited. So you didn't have to necessarily trust them 100%, but you could use their information and, and verified it could be very helpful for the United States. Yeah. You're listening to Reader's Corner. My guest today is John Pomfret. He's the author of From Russia with Love, Polish Spies, the CIA, and the Forging of an Unlikely Alliance. Well, as a uh, guy with a Polish surname who never learned how to speak Polish, the part of this story that I got a kick out of was the glitch that occurred at the checkpoint. And you'll have to help help our listeners understand that these are six guys that are trying to get out, out of the country. Uh, the Polish spies are getting them there, but uh, apparently they uh, they don't do well with the Polish language. So they come up with another scheme that involves alcohol. Right. So so this is back in October of 1990 when Czempinski is sent down to 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 Iraq to 
corral these Americans and to drive them out of Poland. And th- he brings them six fake Polish passports because they're going to masquerade as Polish workers, along with suitably worn in Polish working overalls. And he gives them to them and he gives them their passports. And he says, tells them to study how to pronounce their names. And basically of the six, I think only one could, could, could create and sort of have, have a semblance of what the name sounds like in Poland. <laughs> In Polish. Right. And so Chempinski is like, oh, my God. And, and basically he, he has he's also has about five or six bottles of Johnny Walker, spare <laughs> bottles of Johnny because they use the Johnny Walker to grease their way through the Iraqi checkpoints on the way from Baghdad up to, to Zaho and, and Dohuk on the on the Turkish border. Um, and the worry that the, the Poles had was that they'd identified several Polish-speaking Iraqi border guards. And they had thought that those guards were, had been deployed in southern Iraq, so they took the northern route. But then they discovered at one checkpoint outside of Mosul, which is a major Iraqi city, that actually the Polish-speaking border guard had been moved there. And so the, Amer- the Poles are like, oh, my God, if, you know, if, what if he starts talking Polish to our workers who can't speak a word of Polish and can't even say their names? So at a certain point, he basically takes out a few bottles of the Johnny Walker and just pours it on the Americans, tells them to take, take a few sips, not to get really drunk um, in, in reality, but to <laughs> smell like you're drunk and then pretend to be sleeping off the hangover. And that was his way. And he got him through. It worked. That's an amazing part of the story. So this rescue may be the best example of U.S.-Polish alliance uh, during these years of fighting terrorists, but there was one in particular that that didn't uh, work so well, and that's the black site issue. I wonder if you could uh, share with us just uh, what happened there and uh, and how it came down. So after after nine eleven, as as you you recall, um, George Bush basically uh, and his administration set up a series of of camps where suspected terrorists were held for interrogation uh, by the CIA and by U.S. government contractors. And one of the main sites, and so the Americans went to several of U.S. allies, the Thais, uh, Romanians, and other countries, but they also went to the Poles, um, partially because Poland was such had been such a staunch ally. Poland by this time was in NATO. Um, one of the key relationships there was between the CIA and Polish intelligence. And so the CIA basically went to Polish intelligence and said, you know, you have this large training center in a place called Stare Kikutie. We want to put, um, we want to basically take one of the houses on the training center and turn it into an interrogation center where these suspected terrorists can be interrogated. And the Poles basically said yes. Uh, and part of the reason why the Polish government at the time said yes was because this government was an interesting one. It was elected in 1995. And, and, and the folks who were elected were actually ex-communists. So it was the first time ex-communists had been back in the Polish government since the epical changes of 1989. And these ex-communists felt compelled in a way to prove how loyal they had become to the United States, right? Because they'd had this past as communists. And now they're you know, in government. There's a new system. It's democracy. And they really bent over backwards specifically to show the Poles that they were pro-capitalism, but also to show the Americans that they were pro-Washington. And so they would do basically anything the United States asked. So they were a, a supporter of the invasion of Iraq. Um, they were the part of the whole coalition that Donald Rumsfeld, the defense uh, secretary, called the New Europe. 
right? And so when the CIA came with this question, and specifically when George Bush came to the question directly to the Polish president, the Poles said yes, because they wanted to show. And so they began to bring in into a small airport near Stare Kukutje, these uh, what they call high value detainees. One of them in, actually was Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. Uh, and then the Americans in, these, in, the, in this facility was basically a house that the United States painted with American paint. And then the Americans switched the, the voltage on the plugs to 110 instead of 220, which is the European. So they turned it into this little slice of the United States. And then they waterboarded these people there. And the Poles were not allowed into the villa at all. And so it was like this little slice of America uh, inside this intelligence training location that the Poles could not enter. And that kind of stuck in the Polish crawl because they'd been occupied before by the Russians, right? And so it pushed against a lot of the things that the Poles believed they'd been fighting against since 1989, in, in the 1989 Polish Revolution. And then over time, obviously, the news leaks out that the Americans are having these black sites. And then Bush acknowledges the black sites. And the polls were particularly upset that when Bush made his speech acknowledging the black sites, he didn't give the polls a heads up that this is going to happen. Because the rumors had been out. The Washington Post had broke, broken the story about this. And so Kwasniewski and Miller, who, is the, who are the president and the prime minister, were always denying that they'd done these kind of things. And then Bush comes out and confirms it, and they really felt like they'd been left holding the bag. Yeah. Well, when it comes down to the alliance between the Poles and the U.S., I see that uh, in your book that President Bush wrote a letter commending the Polish officers for saving those Americans in Iraq. But the full text of that letter was still classified. Yeah, this is why is that? This is, yeah, this is President H.W. Bush. Yeah. That's a great question, Bob. So, you know, after the operation happens in October of 1990, William Webster, who was the then director of the CIA, takes his first trip, it's a secret trip to Eastern Europe to commend the Poles. And he's carry, he carries a letter from George H.W. Bush, uh, which is then given to the Polish Prime Minister Tadeusz Bezuwiecki. And the letter basically says, thank you very much. And, but we don't know what else is in the letter. And it's 30 years, 30 plus years since this operation has occurred. And it's still not classified. And so I can't tell you what's in it because I've never read it. All I know yeah. is it's a, it's a thank you note. Um, but it's, it's extraordinary that, you know, this operation was written about in 1995 by the Washington Post, me. Um, it's written about in this book. The polls have made a movie about this operation, but this letter remains classified. So it's one of the conundrums of history, although the CIA classifies lots of things that they don't really need to classify anymore. Yeah, exactly. So there was one thing in your book, uh, and you'll have to forgive me for getting into the weeds here, but um, I, I was amused by the visit with President Bush by the Polish, it was either the prime minister or the president, and um, it was during a time when uh, America wanted to thank the Poles for all it had done. And the Polish president or prime minister had only one thing in mind. Uh, he wanted to get to some Midwestern city, I think you called it. I wouldn't doubt it would be Chicago since there's many Poles there. And President Bush gave him Air Force One. And I thought, it's like it's like the kid who says, hey, Dad, can I have the car tonight? Uh, you say, hey, Mr. President, can I have Air Force One for tomorrow? I didn't know Air Force One was for hire until I read your book. 
uh, I mean, I, it was, you know, this is Kuznetsky, right? Uh, yeah. He was, the pre- he was, and he was the communist, ex-communist president of Poland. And Bush really felt that Kuznetsky had kind of bent over backwards, which he had to help the United States. And Bush was really willing to do anything to help Kuznetsky um, appeal to the, the expatriate or the overseas Polish community, because the overseas Polish community in the United States was a little uh, concerned with, with the fact that there an ex-communist had won in Poland, right? Because the overseas community in America of Polish Americans are, are traditionally very anti-communist. And so Bush was trying to help Kwasniewski kind of clean up his bona fides with this community and was willing to do anything to help him. So that's kind of explains that, that, right. that little curve. Well, well, you have some great lessons in here. In fact, you close your book with some lessons on how alliances should be treated uh, by Americans, by everyone for that matter. But I wonder if we could just zero in on one. Alex Makowski is a good example of, of a Polish intelligence officer whose intelligence falls victim to the CIA bureaucracy uh, when it comes to the whereabouts. You already mentioned this, to the whereabouts of Osama bin Laden. Tell us about that and how that in some way characterizes uh, the challenges that that uh, Poles face over the years in dealing with Americans. So in the early days uh, when the relationship began, in the early 1990s, the Poles were liaising with Americans in the CIA who had a deep knowledge of Poland. Guys like John Palavich, who was a legendary CIA officer, who really was one of the like main forgers of this relationship. And so they, they understood that the Poles, even though it's a small country, their intelligence agencies, as foreign intelligence agencies, was extremely professional and very good, and that their information was, was, was trustworthy. By the time Makovsky is operating in, in Afghanistan in the late 1990s, uh, a whole new group of CIA officers was, was basically managing the relationship, and they had less information and understanding of the nature of how the polls did their work. And I think that that affected things when Makovsky came to the Americans via the, the, the UOP, via Polish intelligence, with information about the whereabouts of Osama bin Laden, with information about the fact that he had heard that the uh, Al-Qaeda was planning to blow up a, a, mili- a U.S. military vessel uh, in the Gulf or in, in the Middle East, uh, and these, these other type of tips that the Americans didn't in- act on that potentially really led to some disasters in the, with, with involving the, the USS Cole bombing and then also uh, involving Osama bin Laden as well later on. Now, in the Americans' defense, Makovsky's information came from a single so- source. And so the Americans obviously naturally can't really act on that. They need confirmation, et cetera, et cetera. That makes sense. But there was also a sense among the United States intelligence officers that they belittled the, the, the information that the Poles dug up because Poland's a small country, and they really didn't have that deep understanding that their predecessors had had. I'm Bob Custer, host of Reader's Corner. Today, I'm speaking with John Pomfret, author of From Warsaw with Love. The book tells the epic story of how Polish intelligence officers forged an alliance with the CIA in the twilight of the Cold War. Today, we take for granted the admission of uh, the Poland and its uh, other Eastern European countries into NATO. But NATO, the fight for NATO from the Poles' perspective, was quite the lengthy and controversial process. And 
I wonder if you could uh, share with us the tug of war that was going on in the U.S. during that time over Poland's admission uh, to NATO. I think it had something to do with poking the bear. Yeah, it had a lot to do with poking the bear. And there's, there's that, that argument remains, you know, what one could argue a legitimate argument. You know, did the expansion of NATO create Putin and lead to immediately to the invasions of Georgia and now Ukraine? That's, I, I, my sense is, given what was happening in Eastern Europe at the time, NATO's expansion was the only way to stabilize the politics of Eastern Europe. Because you basically could have had Bosnia's erupting all over Eastern Europe. You could have the Romanians and the Bulgarians and the, and the Hungarians fighting over their various minorities in each country. And basically, NATO membership was put out as, you know, a, as a prerequisite to NATO membership was not having these type of conflicts spread, right, and dealing with them in a peaceful manner. And so NATO was extremely important in stabilizing. But in the United States, there was there were a lot of concerns among sort of Russia experts that this is going to alienate Moscow, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. At the end of the day, I think the decision was the correct one. And Poland has shown that it's a very loyal ally of the United States and has had America's back at almost every turn and is now on the front line. And can you imagine what Europe would be thinking or doing or looking like if these countries in Eastern Europe, Poland, the Czech Republic, Slovakia, even Hungary, were not in NATO now, right? You might have Russian troops in Belarus on the border of Poland, not so much invading Ukraine. So I think, I think the, the, the fact that it was enlarged has actually stabilized much more so the East of Europe than, than created more problems with the Russians. You mentioned North Korea earlier, and I wanted to follow up on that. Just how do the Polish spies, and maybe it's not even spies, it's just Polish, Polish, uh, they have an embassy there in North Korea, I assume, and that, and we don't, so there must be some way that, uh, they can help us with what's going on inside. Yeah, in, in North Korea, I think this, this operation, one of the reasons I wrote about it is because it's, it's over and done with, but for years, in the transition from 1990, as Poland transitioned into a democracy, Poland's embassy in Pyongyang was large enough that CIA could bring in technical equipment that they could use in Pyongyang to monitor a variety of things in North Korea that were a great benefit to the United States. And that relationship and that work on North Korea has continued Although, uh, from my understanding, they are not using the embassy anymore. But the Poles always had a deep insight into North Korea because after the Korean War, the Polish military was part of um, the multinational organization that monitored the ceasefire. So they've always had military officers deployed in North Korea. And once the, 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 the shift happened in 1989, those officers began giving the United States intelligence instead of giving Russia the intelligence. In recent years, I think you've uh, alluded to this, Poland has veered to the far right with the ascension of elected officials who really seem more interested in power than playing by the democratic rules of the game. Uh, at one point, you say something like, uh, the U.S. left the Poles to battle their own demons. How has the CIA let Poland down since 2015 and what could it have done or what could the American government have done more effectively with this rise of the far right government over there? So that's a great question. I mean, 
I don't know whether the CIA so much let them down because the CIA's perspective is, look, we don't care who's in power. As long as they're going to work with us, we'll work with them. Yeah. Uh, that said, there were a large number of Polish uh, intelligence officers who were at the forefront of forging the relationship in the early 1990s who are now targets of the current government. And the CIA did little to kind of signal that these guys were not, uh, should not be menaced by the, by the current Polish government. But the CIA's perspective was we're more important in maintaining the relationship now because we still need these guys. For the U.S. government, I think the U.S. government really failed on this front and should have criticized the Polish government more of vociferously as they lurch to the far right, not to the right. The right is fine, but it's the far right. It's the attempt to dismantle an independent judiciary. It's going after all sorts of social groups for, uh, you know, this sort of uh, very far right Catholicism that, that they, they're practicing there. That I think has been um, the subject. The United States really backed off on criticizing that aspect of it. And I think it, in some sense, you, one could argue that the United States has sort of failed Poland on that front. Yeah. Um, for the CIA, they're just wanting to continue to do operations. So they're a little bit more reluctant to criticize. But that said, they've kind of forgotten their friends. And, you know, it, it does li- leave a little bit of a bitter feeling among some of these Polish intelligence officers. Mm-hmm. Some of what you just said, I'm sure, is encapsulated in the last chapter on alliances. But I wonder if you couldn't give us your thoughts on on the alliance and the importance of alliances these days. And most importantly, what countries can learn from this experience and other experiences in being better alliance participants, you might say. I think we tend to forget in the, in this country because we're such a massive continental country with such a huge domestic economy but the united states really is a superpower not um in spite of its alliances but because of its alliances we have a lot of friends around the world and they make us stronger and poland is one of them and in the book there's a letter that george tenet former cia director sends to his polish counterpart on the eve of his retirement telling him, look, with your country, the United States has established the second most important intelligence cooperation relationship we've ever had, right? The first, of course, would be the with the British, but that's extraordinary. And so the Poles really worked very aggressively and loyally on the behalf of the United States. They helped this country. And so I think one of the lessons of the book is that alliances really are important. And cultivating those alliances are key to the future of this country and the rest of the world. Now, as you cultivate these alliances, you have to do them like, you know, the Vietnamese, we don't really have an alliance with them, but we have a very close relationship. You have to treat them differently than you have to treat the Poles. You can probably hold the Poles to a higher standard because you've been engaged with them longer, et cetera, than the Vietnamese. But nonetheless, these are important relationships to continue to cultivate because in the end of the day, they spread America power. They, that we can, America can leverage these relationships to increase our influence around the world. And they're very important. If you have America alone, you weaken the country. America with its allies is a far more stronger and more stable um, country. And, and, it's, and it's also for leads to a more stable world. Mm-hmm. Well, that certainly raises the question of uh, the difference between the Trump administration, which seemed to be go it alone, and the Biden administration. And I, I wonder, has Biden had enough time or has he even focused on this issue of 
of uh, how to improve our alliances. Obviously, he's he, he just met recently with the Chinese premier, so I think it's pretty clear that that he's interested in in helping the United States develop better relationships abroad. But uh, I wonder what your thoughts are. So I think the Trump administration gets a very bad rap because of its sort of America alone, America first ideology. That said, um, underneath the, the surface of the pool, the Trump administration was did not alienate everybody all the time around the world. And there was a lot of work done with a lot of countries um, by the Trump administration. So it, I, th- I don't think you could really make a, such a harsh contract between the Trump administration and Biden. That said, Biden ran on a whole platform of renewing America's alliances, and he spent a lot of time specifically in Asia, but also with the Ukraine invasions uh, and now in Europe, uh, strengthening both the trans-Pacific relationships and the transatlantic relationships. And I think he's, that he and the State Department and the CIA uh, and also the U.S. military have spent a lot of time focusing on that because in the case of Ukraine, you're not going to have any success if you're the only nation supporting Ukraine, right? You have to bring the French and the Germans specifically, then the Brits and the Dutch and the Poles along with you to support this country as it deals with the invasion of Russia. Same thing with China. You're not going to be able to have a successful policy to challenge or to deal with China without the support of the Japanese, the Australians, uh, the Philippines and other countries in, in, in Asia as well. John, that's all we have time for today, but I want to thank you, first of all, for writing the book. And that is from Warsaw with Love, Polish Spies, the CIA, and the Forging of an Unlikely Alliance. And thanks for being with us today at Reader's Corner. Bob, thanks so much for having me. It was a real pleasure. Reader's Corner is presented by Boise State Public Radio News. The engineer for today's show is Eric Jones with production by Joel Wayne. I'm Bob Kustra. Please join me next week as we talk to today's leading writers about the ideas and issues that help shape our world at Reader's Corner.